If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The numbers told the story they always do. This is a numbers game with Gil Alexander on v one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Good Monday morning to you. This is a numbers game at v the Sports Betting Network, v the v app, Fubo Sling Game Plus, iHeartRadio, YouTube TV. It's all brought to you by BetMGM Nevada. It's Gil Alexander. Jeff Parlay is here as well. Of course, producer number five and eight. Jeff, good morning to you, man. How's your weekend? Did anything happen yesterday? You know, I didn't know that anything happened until I got got a text from you where you're like, um, you should probably turn on the Oscars, man. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Why would I do that? Why would I do something silly like that? Because you're like, apparently, uh, Will Smith just slapped Chris Rock. I'm like, what? And literally hijacked the next two and a half hours of my life texting with people. So, uh, warning in advance, I got a few things to say about this a little later on the show. I will say one thing just from the betting perspective real quick on that. Our guy Brian Ortega deserves yes, he does. a nice round of applause because he did very well. Coda. Very well. Coda, Coda being the top of the list. Yeah, Coda getting, got it done for best picture. So congratulations to Brian Ortega. Last week he was kind enough to come on the show and hang out with us in the studio. He nailed that. Uh, they were a dog. at the, Well, they weren't a dog. They were a second short shot, if you will, at the time. So he hits that. Um, but, yeah, Wes Reynolds is going to join us here momentarily. So I will... I'll probably hijack part of the segment with Wes because Wes is a big Oscars guy. So we'll talk about uh, that. Uh, I have much to say. And uh, we'll talk to Wes about college basketball, about golf as well. Greg Peterson later on the show. We'll talk about college hoops. Um, absolutely do that later uh, here on the program today. And um, later this week, by the way, later this week, we will have uh, Spanky on the show in advance of Bet Bash. He'll be on the show tomorrow. Elihu Foistel who I believe is the, the smartest sports better on planet Earth. Uh, he will be on the show on Wednesday. So big show uh, this week as we lead into Bet Bash. Um, looking forward to all of that. Um, Paul Spore, by the way, also on the show today to talk Major League Baseball. It's baseball week on the show. We always do this uh, the, le- the week leading up to the Final Four. We call it baseball week on a numbers game. So we'll talk to him about his favorite season win totals, awards, as the week progresses as well. Um, let's start with... The championship formula, Jeff, because uh, this is a tried-and-true thing that we do, a tradition on this show, tradition unlike any other here on a numbers game, that has predicted the eventual champion for the better part of two or three decades. And it's been very interesting this year in, in many respects. First of all, the criteria, the six criteria for those who have missed and have not memorized it. Again, the last 33 champs, we always talk about this right before during conference week heading into the tournament. The last 33 champs had more assists than turnovers. 27 of the last 28 champs had a head coach with Sweet 16 experience. 2014 UConn Huskies with Kevin Holly being the only exception. 27 of the last 28 champs went to the tournament with at least three wins versus teams in the top 10% of RPI. We use the old metric because we've been doing this for so long. Last 28 champs had a top 75 strength of schedule. And then these which we've always stated, you can play your way into the Ken Palm numbers. 17 of the last 18 champs were in the top 20 in adjusted offensive efficiency, 
stat at Ken Palm when all was said and done. And, and, and by the way, the only exception, again, the 2014 UConn Huskies led by Shabazz Napier. And then 17 of the last 18 champs were in the top 20 in adjusted defensive efficiency over at Ken Palm. The only exception, last year's Baylor Bears, who finished 22nd. Now bookmark that last one for a second. And so now we're down to the final four, and you're saying, wait a minute now, Gil, wasn't UCLA the only team that qualified? They were the only team that was in. But remember, last week, remember the two teams we said that were knocking at the door? Well, let's start with this. Who... What did the championship formula do correctly again? And the reason that we have this. One, the head coach with the Sweet 16 experience thing is kind of a thing. And that was one of the reasons that Arizona was not considered because Tommy Lloyd, this was his first rodeo with that. It just doesn't happen. You just don't win an NCAA championship in your first season, again, with the exception of Kevin Ollie. And Tommy Lloyd looked more like a cheerleader than a coach in some of those games, quite frankly, for Arizona to me. Then the one about the strength of schedule, which I think is the, is the most, I think was the big victory of all the criteria this year. Because Gonzaga was always teetering. Gonzaga was on the outside looking in on that. Houston was on the outside looking in on that. And believe it or not, Arizona was teetering just on the inside, which was one of the interesting quirks of all of this. All of those teams by the, go by the wayside. And that gets back to our discussion about Gonzaga last week, which was... When they lost, it's sort of like, okay, because remember, half the crowd was like, oh, they weren't getting calls, and half the, half the folks were like, look, this is why they don't, they don't play in a good enough conference. And some people think that's an overblown opinion, but I think there's something to that, and I'll tell you why, and this also applies to Houston as well. Gonzaga did get to two finals. They did. So, you know, look, it could have been different for Mark View and Gonzaga. I get it. But generally speaking, there is something to the fact that if you're not playing teams, and this gets out of Houston, with, they didn't even win three games against top 10% of RPI, and I get it. They don't have their two best players, and they had big wins in this tournament. But it is tough when you come from a conference that's not used to playing good teams night in and night out to string six of those together. It just has never happened. I'm just telling you it's never happened. Not to say that it couldn't happen, you know me, if you've been listening to the show long enough, when no one was winning a triple crown in horse racing, I was making the point, hey, just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it's not likely to happen because there's a lot of close calls. But I'm just saying it hasn't. So is there something to that? Is there not? That's a question for debate. But getting to this group of final four teams, Jeff, you, you called it yesterday. It's, one side of the bracket has completely played their way into this. And that's why with the Ken Palm number, and one man's metric, you, if you play one game, if you play two games, you're unlikely to move the needle enough if you're, if you're way on the outside. But once you play four games of the six on your way to a potential national championship, it's actually not a negligible portion of your entire college basketball season. And Villanova and Kansas, who were on the outside in defensive adjusted efficiency, have both played their way into the top 20. Kansas now seventh in adjusted offense. That was never their issue. 17th now in adjusted defensive efficiency. Villanova goes from 9th offense to 18th in adjusted, uh, adjusted defensive efficiency at Kempong. So Kansas and Villanova have played their way in. Now, here's still the problem for the championship formula. And Jeff, I think you may agree with this. Duke and Carolina, yeah, they're not close in adjusted defensive efficiency. Duke is still... What is it, 45th? 
Carolina's 39th. Carolina's done anyway because Hubert Davis is in year one. Hubert Davis is in year one. Yeah. They couldn't do it anyway. Correct. But Duke, so so this gets back, and we'll talk to Wes Reynolds about his thoughts about the Final Four and the, and the spreads and all that, and we'll talk to Jeff about it too here. But don't you see this kind of, like I said it Friday, I was like, are we prepared to live in a world where Coach K goes out on top, crushes the championship formula? So either, by the way, if they do, they'll be the second consecutive team with last year's Baylor Bears that would win the national championship with the one exception being here in the championship formula, the top 20 in adjusted defensive efficiencies metric at Ken Palm. And so my question to you, Jeff, would be like, is that just a coincidence or is there something to that in college basketball? Is there a reason why we would get it? It hasn't happened yet, right? Duke hasn't won it yet, but if they do, and they are the short shot to do so now, is there something to that, the way that the game of college basketball has evolved, that the formula being static has not captured? I'm still surprised last year's Baylor team didn't get in the top 20 defensively. To just throw that out there real quick. 22nd. Yeah, just barely missing. Duke, is. it's pretty apparent, Gil, that Duke, especially in ACC play, when they knew they were clearly better than everyone else and more talented, just didn't really try defensively. And now we've seen at least three straight games where there have been portions of the game where they've played like a top 20 defensive team. Remember, they were relatively close to the top 20 for a good chunk of they the year. Were. They were. And then just back. totally fell apart yeah. uh, because of that run late in the season where they didn't even bother attempting to play defense. So, I look, I think it's just, again, you're talking about college kids and and sometimes you get results that don't make sense and up until now, the bluest of blue blood final fours of all time, basically. The, the bluest of blue blood final fours. That's exactly what we end up having. Okay, so here's a question for you. Maybe I should have saved, saved this for Wes. Next segment. Maybe I'll just ask it of him again. Is there any part of this? Because I asked Felika when he was on Friday. I was like, hey, this, you know, March Madness, it's idiot proof, right? Doesn't matter if the refing sucks. Doesn't matter if the TV schedule's jacked. Doesn't matter anything. We, we still love it. But now, Jeff, on the final weekend, right, of the Elite Eight here, in the end, it's the Blue Bloods that rise. And if you relate this to college football, do you have a thought in your head at any point where you're like, oh, this is exactly, right, like this is exactly what would happen in college football. If we threw in extra teams into a round of 16 or a round of 12, whatever you made an expanded tournament in college football, this is exactly the same thing that would happen, that Ultimately, no matter how an upset happened in the first round or in the second round, they would get absolutely destroyed in crunch time, like St. Peter's did. So St. Peter's a 15 seed, the first one to ever get to the Elite Eight. Will you look back fondly on the story? Sure. But in the end, you know, destroyed. Oh, more than likely, yes. I mean, again, the difference is you're ending up, again, how many people had this Final Four, even though it's the the blue blood Final Four is going into this tournament, Gil? So it is still kind of, even though it's a one, two twos, and an eight seed that didn't, that really is only an eight seed because of how bad they were for a chunk of the early season. And Mm -hmm. then really, once they lost to Pittsburgh, they were easily one of the 10 to 12 best teams in the country the last month of the season. Uh, But look, you're more than likely right. I mean, if let's say like a, 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 we'll take a UAB. Wins wins their conference and it somehow upsets oh Ohio State and then beats Notre Dame in the second game. 
they get to the semifinal, they would probably get crushed like St. Peter's did one step away from the final four like they did against UNC yesterday. As long as there's betting, right, it's still fun to watch. But like yesterday, just if you had no bets on those games or if you were in a survivor pool, if it didn't matter in your brackets, unwatchable. Just Can- The Kansas-Miami game was interesting for a half, for a half. and then Kansas just rolled them. 47-15 to 15 in the second half yesterday. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, we'll talk Survivor, how that went down for some folks also a little later on. Wes Reynolds next, and I got some stuff to say about the incident yesterday in the Oscars. Coming back, Numbers Game Visa, the Sports Betting Network. The Numbers Game with Gil Alexander on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. It's time to download Nevada's premier sports betting app, BetMGM Sports. BetMGM with all your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted odds specials, and much more. Just download the app today, the BetMGM app, that is, and stop by any MGM casino on the Strip with your state-issued ID to open an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada, whatever your sport, whatever your betting style. You're going to love BetMGM state-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please get Gamble responsibly. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. It's Gil Alexander, Jeff Parlay here as well. Um, Jeff, I can't let the show go today, and I know we've only been on for, for one segment, without talking about the uh, Will Smith slap heard around the world yesterday on the Oscars. And we'll have Wes Reynolds here talking about uh, his Oscars picks, uh, how they came through here in a moment, talk uh, golf and college hoops with him. But uh, for those who, who missed it, I, again, Jeff texted me. I didn't know. I wasn't watching the Oscars. He's like, I, he's like, Will Smith just slapped Chris Rock. You got to see. So, of course, it's all over social. The next two and a half hours of my life, two and a half hours, I'm not even kidding, hijacked by this, by this, what happened. And again, uh, for those who missed it, Chris Rock tells a joke. He's on stage. He's telling jokes about all kinds of people nominated. And he tells a, he tells a G.I. Jane 2 joke regarding Jada Pinkett. Um, Chris Rock, unclear whether he, he knows that, uh, that Jada Pink, Pinkett suffers from alopecia or does not. Most people assuming that he does still made the joke. Uh, Will Smith was actually in the, in the audience laughing, it, it appeared, right? Then Jada was rolling her eyes, and so Will apparently went from that laughter to, oh, my wife is, is not happy with that, and he rolls up on stage and he smacks Chris Rock. And there is some history. Chris Rock has made jokes about Will, uh, about Jada in the past. 2016, he made some joke about it, too. Um, <clears throat> anyway, the point of all of this is, Jeff, I, what made more as much of an impression on me than the slap itself, which is, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we've kind of agreed as a society you can't act that way. Sticks and stones, right? Like somebody made a joke. You can't do that. You can't handle it that way. It's kind of what we, it's kind of our tacit agreement here on planet Earth or at least in planet United States. You don't do that. And what was amazing to me was everything that surrounded it, more, more than even just the slap itself. Namely, one, can we give Chris Rock some credit? I'm talking about, one, physically, that he took the punch like he did. Dude's like 150 pounds, 5'7", whatever he is. That's one thing. But two, for me, as someone who does two shows a day, the composure, some people were saying he, he, he lost his composure. I think that's the greatest example of a dude holding his composure on a global telecast, no less, more than anything we've ever seen on, ever in life on live television. That was incredible that he was able to fight his way through that and just move it along. The Oscars owes Chris Rock a huge debt of gratitude for that. But the real thing, let me just say this also, the real thing is, 
how everybody just like sucks up to Will Smith after this. So Will Smith just assaulted a dude on stage. And I'm not condoning the joke, okay? But he just assaults a dude on stage. And they they allow, first of all, they allow him to stay. You should be kicked off the premises. Like your Oscar moment that was inevitable that was coming up, you should have been robbed of that moment. Not only do they not kick him off stage, uh, kick him off, kick him out of the arena. They, they they leave him in there. He gets his Oscar moment, and they let him speak for eternity. He was on stage for six minutes. A, a telecast that anybody else, man, they're sweeping you off like the Sandman on Showtime at the Apollo if they can. But Will Smith, apparently he could have talked for 20 minutes. They would have been all right with it. So I'm like, how gutless are these people on this Oscars telecast? Not to mention Will Smith himself, who goes on a six-minute diatribe of a word salad where he then tries to justify his action by comparing himself to uh, the, the character he played, not the character, but the real-life character he played, Richard Williams, Serena and Venus' is, is, uh, father, in King Richard, saying, oh, he protected his family fiercely, as if somehow that's what you were doing there, and so you're justified. Man, get out of here. That, would, that, to me, was the biggest thing. For, an, for a, an organization, the Academy of Arts and Sciences, who are the most self-righteous people on planet Earth, to allow for him again to make that speech, apparently, as long as he wanted, and not kick him out of the building, man, don't ever say anything to us the rest of your life, your, your, the rest of your existence. Don't ever come up with any self-righteous thing ever again after that display. Anyway, I think I've said enough. I'm sure there's more in my head, but I just wanted to get that out. Wes Reynolds is here, ladies and gentlemen, to talk golf and college basketball with us. But we can also talk Oscars because he has some Oscars picks. Wes, did you see it that way or did you see it otherwise? Well, uh, I was going to open up here, Gil, with the Timothy Chalamet joke in terms of his getup that he wore last night. I thought Parlay might be wearing that today to <laughs> appease the uh, female audience uh, here at Beeson. But, yeah, I was watching the telecast last night, and all of a sudden, you know, it's on ABC, and my screen, like, freezes. Like, it literally froze. So I'm like, this brings me back to the Sopranos finale. I'm like, okay, what happened here? Because, like, the screen just goes dead, and it's like, you know, you're wanting to reboot it. And then all of a sudden they go back with the audio taken away where you see Will Smith obviously sitting there angry, yelling at him. So I had no idea what happened. And I'm also looking on the Twitter machine while that is going on, and I'm like, Something happened because I see all my timeline and my tweet deck go, what just happened or WTF or what's going on? So I didn't even see the full clip until it was tweeted out a few minutes yeah, later. Me too. You know, that was uh, grabbed from a Australian telecast. And then I saw a Japanese, Japanese telecast one. Yeah. version where you can hear the audio and then you hear like the translation in the native language. So, yeah, I mean, that's I've seen shocking things at award ceremonies before. Uh, the guy that had soy bomb on his chest when Bob Dylan was performing at the Grammys and Dylan just looks over at him. OK, like what's going on? Kanye hijacking Taylor Swift's speech at the MTV Awards. But Never saw a dude get punched on on the stage or or open handed slap rather and uh, oh and, you know, the, and Chris the Rock I agree yeah and the Go ahead, and I'm the com I'm just gonna say and the comforting of of Will Smith afterwards by his fellow you know big actors it was right. just the whole thing man right well I mean if you're if you're rich and powerful and famous there's gonna be different rules that apply to you than apply to the rest to the rest of everybody and yeah Chris Rock kept his composure and look the thing about comedy. 
sometimes comedy is in poor taste. Sometimes a joke doesn't land, mm-hmm. and you know, it's like you know, maybe that was a bad joke and it was insensitive, but. You also have to know, hey, I'm going to win Best Actor later tonight. Do I really want to ruin this ceremony? And another thing that was awkward about it is that Chris Rock was out there to present the Best Documentary Award. So that was a dead giveaway if you didn't even look at the odds who was going to win. Because I guess the night before, Chris Rock served as the host for a Roots event, the the band of Questlove, where he's Mm -hmm. the drummer of the band leader on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. And he was going to present the award to his friend. And Questlove was going to win documentary for Summer of Soul, which I recommend everybody sees. And it totally ruined Questlove's moment because it's like, I've totally. got to speak prepared. Because I know, uh, and he got some of it out, but I don't think he said everything he wanted to say because I think he was stunned by what he saw. And then you could see Chris Rock and Questlove kind of walking off the stage and all of Questlove's uh co-producers of Summer of Soul, and they're kind of looking at it like, you know, what the hell just happened here? And just kind of shaking their heads. So it totally ruined his moment uh, there. And yeah, it was was unfortunate. So we're getting all the think pieces on both sides, you know, in terms of, hey, it was chivalry. Chivalry's not dead. He defended his wife, despite the fact that uh, didn't necessarily defend her with uh, the the entanglements going on. uh, Yeah, you know what, man? Yeah, yeah. Again, chivalry, you know, like question mark. Uh, You know, his son, Jaden, right, uh, from the mean streets of Beverly Hills his whole life saying this morning that something like that's how we do it or something like that or there it is that's how we do it yeah okay Jane yeah good well nice we, see, role model. we see why Will got sent to Bel Air in the first place <laughs> that was to, the great uh, joke yesterday yeah move with the uncle and auntie <laughs> in Bel Air that's right how did your Oscars picks go Went okay. I mean, look, now that you have award season that kind of shaped these lines in the play skill, it was mostly favorites. I think of the 23 categories, it was 21 favorites. The only kind of long shot one was for best animated short, and it was only like five to one. So I only played a couple. I played Coda for best picture. I played Jessica Chastain for best actress for uh, the Tammy Faye movie. And once you saw that that movie won the hair and makeup award, that was kind of like a dead giveaway that she was going to win for Best Actress, even though she only closed it like minus $1.40. So no real big surprises in the categories. Okay. Uh, real quick, in, in our last minute here before the break, I want to talk about college basketball. Scotty Scheffler wins the WGC match play. I don't want to sort of talk about again how that's a weird handicapping thing with the brackets, but Scotty Scheffler moving forward to the Masters, should people have him in their portfolio of bets? Because it just seems like he's still a little under the radar to the casual golf fan and better. Yeah, and and the prices have been cut, by the way. He is not the outright favorite. That's still John Rahm. But you're going to see Scheffler now as like the second or third choice. I think going into the week at the match play, he was 22 to 1, maybe as high as 25. Now you're going to see him maybe at 12 or at 14. But this was a guy I was on at Phoenix, and I didn't keep riding him, which I'm obviously regretting here, seeing what he's done. But, yeah, you, you got to give him consideration. He's going to be right in the mix with all those top guys. Yeah, I should say golf fans exclusively. Golf betters certainly aware of uh, Scotty Scheffler, but he does it again, beating Kevin Kistner in the finals of the WGC match play. More with Wes after the break. Uh, how bad should Kentucky and Purdue feel right about now? And his final four picks next. 
a numbers game with Gil Alexander on VSIN, the sports betting network. Wendy's Breakfast is the official breakfast of March Madness. Every day, choose from Wendy's stacked starting lineup like the Breakfast Baconator, Croissant Combos, and Hot or Cold Coffee. And like any great team, Wendy's is bringing the breakfast legends oven baked, sizzling bacon, fresh cracked eggs, perfectly seasoned breakfast potatoes, and a simply OJ to bring it home. Make a fast break to your nearest Wendy's drive thru and pick up your Wendy's Breakfast, the official breakfast of March Madness. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. We get tweets at beating the book. You know what everybody wants to talk about, Jeff? And it ain't the college basketball classic. Uh, Nick Shursky. He goes, amen. Different rules for the elite. Total joke. Chris Hartman. Gil Juwan Howard got five games worth slap. Smith got a trophy in six minutes to pontificate. Stringfellow Hawk. Will Smith did the right thing. I'm going to disagree with you, Stringfellow. But he did it after the wife was mad. And after his wife is... Have an open relationship while he's standing by. Total phony. Yeah, but, I mean, they agreed to the open relationship, right, Stringfellow? Uh, two, Chris Rock will have the last word. Believe that. This is from D-G-Gen Southern Gent. D-Gen Southern Gent. Gil, I have alopecia. Shortly after diagnosis was at a work function. Coworkers seeking cheap laughs made jokes about my look. Instead of violence, I belittled him until I saw him die inside. Then said, just joking with you, B. I won the room. That's how it's done. There you go, DJ on Southern Gen. There's a way to handle it. There's a way not to. Thomas R., agree with your comments 100% Gill. No way he should have been allowed to stay after striking someone. And, Jeff, you said off air, which would have been great, if he had been asked, like, you know, if they had any kind of dignity over there, if he had been asked to leave, and he leaves, when he gets his Oscar, <laughs> what did you say the person would no, have I to say? I forget who, gave, who yeah. gave out the award, mm-hmm. but if they had gone – if they had asked Smith to leave and they said, unfortunately, Will would, was not was unable to be with us tonight. <laughs> it would have right. been the funniest moment that they could have possibly come together with. Amy Schumer had the, the correct thing, which is what we did this morning, which is, anything happened? I was taking a nap. Anything happened tonight here? Wes Reynolds is here uh, with us, the glue that holds this whole operation together at, uh, at VSIN, also co-host of Long Shots. Wes, let's get to the Final Four. I'm, I'm curious of your thoughts, but before we get to the numbers themselves on Duke Carolina, the first time Duke and Carolina in their glory uh, they're just absolute glorified history have met in the NCAA tournament. And then, of course, Kansas and Villanova on the other side of the bracket. Villanova without DeMatha High School's Justin Moore, who clearly ruptured his Achilles from the first moment. It has been confirmed. That's what happened. By the way, my entire timeline is, hey, is that a ruptured Achilles, Gil? Since I've had two. Yes, clearly. Just like KD's was clearly a ruptured Achilles, even though they refused to like admit that for the longest time. So strange. Um, the question is about St. Peter's getting rolled by Carolina. The, big, the most common text that we sent around yesterday was, how absolutely embarrassed should Purdue and Kentucky be? Purdue on Friday night, you and, you and I were on the set with Matt and Kelly on, on Primetime Action West. That's so all we talked about, right, was how can Matt Painter not figure out that you should be going to uh, Williams and Edie this entire game? And when he did, Purdue played well. Like, I just, how bad does this look for both of those coaches, Calipari and, and Painter? I think probably worse for Purdue, actually, than Kentucky, Gill, because, look, this is is the NCAA tournament. That happens. You have a bad night. We saw Virginia a few years ago as the number one seed, the first one to lose to a 16 with UMBC. 15s have beaten two before. Hey, you just had a bad night or you didn't make any shots. You know, sometimes it's like March happens. I don't want to sound overly cliche, but that's what does. 
Nevertheless, you get to the second weekend and it's like, okay, this is when water is going to find its level, kind of like it did for St. Peter's yesterday in the Elite Eight. It's like we love all these upsets, you know, and that's what makes the NCAA tournament. But the unfortunate byproduct of that is you get some, you know, kind of bad games and like an Elite Eight where a team is just so overmatched and that game was really never competitive. But yeah, but I, I said it on you, with you guys on Friday night. This was right there for Purdue. This was the most open of a draw that they could have hoped for to get to the Final Four, and they lost to a 15 seed that North Carolina, who Purdue beat pretty easily earlier in the season, that North Carolina just trucked from the opening tip until the final buzzer in the second half. So, yeah, I think Purdue has got to be thinking we blew our opportunity here and, you know, to get to at least an Elite Eight because – Obviously, if Purdue's in the Elite Eight against North Carolina or it could have been UCLA, that's going to be a more competitive regional final. It might have ended up being the best regional final we saw all weekend because we really didn't see any close games except for that boulder fight between Houston and Villanova. <laughs> the boulder fight, a step up from the, uh, a step up from the rock fight. Uh, yeah, especially like you know, like you're intimating that they ha- it wasn't the second game of the weekend. They had a full four days in both cases to prepare, right? So it just made it even worse. Those two teams. Uh, let's go to Saturday. Villanova, Kansas is the first. I mentioned Justin Moore and the ruptured Achilles. Moore, Villanova, besides you know, besides Colin Gillespie, uh, Colin Gillespie ahead of him in points and assists, he was number two in both of those categories for the Wildcats, and so they are four point dogs against a Kansas team that again won that second half against Miami yesterday, forty seven to fifteen in an absolute runout, um, down six when that half started. It's it's it, with that absence, the Moore's absence. This has got to be Jayhawks or, or or nothing here. Or are you thinking Villanova's got a shot? Well, I mean, you never really want to lay points to Jay Wright, who, in my opinion, is the best coach in all college basketball. And I think Villanova, it's kind of interesting, Gil. We were talking about the wackiness of March, and we were on primetime action together on Friday. We were like, nobody knows anything. Nobody knows anything. 100%. And you're absolutely right when you say that, but then you look at this Final Four, here's what you have. You have three of the top five all-time great college basketball programs. I think the consensus top five is UCLA, Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, and North Carolina. You have three of those five in the Final Four. And, oh, by the way, that fourth team is probably the best program in college basketball altogether over the last decade, a dozen mm-hmm. years, that being Villanova. Yeah. So, you know, I'm always reluctant to lay points to Jay Wright, even with Houston on Saturday, who looked like such a buzzsaw. And, I mean, you don't see a five seed be a three-and-a-half-point favorite at the close over a two seed very often, especially one with championship pedigree like Villanova. But yet Houston was. But 50-44 to 44 was the final score, and you kind of knew that's what that game was going to be. These are two teams that are kind of in the bottom 20 to 30 teams in the country in adjusted tempo, and you just knew that that's how it was going to turn out. But now with Villanova, and Villanova – is not different from a lot of other teams in the fact that they have a short rotation, especially this time of year. It's like 
even though you have 13 scholarships, uh, Gil, 13 kids on scholarship for any team, you don't have 13 guys you can play. This is not the NBA where you have a full second unit. You can probably only trust maybe about seven dudes or eight dudes max to play important minutes for you. Whereas Villanova, look, they essentially played six guys on Saturday, including Justin Moore, who you mentioned, now out for the rest of the NCAA tournament. Moore played 37 minutes on Saturday. Gillespie played 36. Samuels played 33. Caleb Daniels played 35. So now you got to have somebody step up. That might mean you have uh, Chris Archidiacono, uh, not quite the level of his brother Ryan, who plays in the NBA. But you're going to have to have somebody step up unless you're going to play five guys 35 plus minutes. You got to have somebody to replace. And I think that that's going to be a little bit difficult to do against a Kansas team that, quite frankly, is deep. And, and this Kansas team, quite frankly, until yesterday in that second 20 minutes that you mentioned, 47 to 15, they've looked kind of pedestrian for a number one seed. Yeah. They couldn't get ahead of Creighton. Creighton, by the way, remember, they only had six guys because they had two starters injured now for the rest of the season. They couldn't get away from Providence. You know, we were watching that game Friday, and it was like, Kansas is not playing well, but it's like they should still be up 15 to 20 here because Providence was just so awful. I think at one point they were like one of 16 from three-point range. It's like these guys got nothing going, and Kansas let them hang around. So it was good to see them, if you're a Kansas fan and backer, put the foot on the gas yesterday. Real quick, Wes, is 133 too high? Because we saw Villanova just taking their time this weekend. Won't they have to do that here? Yeah, uh, I would initial lean to the under. It's probably priced in. Look, these numbers are tight with only four teams left here, but I would certainly lean that way. All right, and Duke, Carolina, we got about 90 seconds here. The first ever March Madness meetup between what I believe is the greatest rivalry in all of sports over the course of our lifetime, Wes. Yeah, and, uh, and I do like Duke here. I'll probably lay money line like I did on Saturday against Arkansas. I don't see Kay losing when he's this close at the end of the road here. And I think Duke, I got to tell you, I've been impressed with this team. This team has showed toughness, not only physical toughness, but mental toughness. They were down five late against Michigan State five minutes ago. They find a way. They find a way in the Sweet 16 against Texas Tech, who had the best defense in terms of all the metrics in the entire country. And then find a way Saturday, you know, to just get away from Arkansas, get in transition. Arkansas couldn't take anything away from them. So, Duke is right on the precipice here of ending the storybook career of Coach Gay. I think they get to the championship game. Boncaro, Moore, uh, Williams, who really stepped up, Griffin, Roach. Those are five pros, man. And you just, yep. when, you, when you think about these four teams, you just think of the other teams as college teams, maybe with the exception of Carolina, right? Like, and they can step up against Duke. But Duke clearly appears to be the men above boys in this tournament moving forward. It could be a world where Coach K goes out on top. Wes, thank you so much as always, man. You and I could talk for eight segments, let alone two. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Gil. Appreciate it. Wes Reynolds, everybody, at Wes Reynolds 1. That's the number one on the old Twitter machine. We'll talk about uh, NCAA Survivor, how that shook out for people. It's unbelievable. And tennis picks, pardon me, next. Numbers Game Visa, the Sports Betting Network.
a numbers game with Gil Alexander on VSIN, the sports betting network. BetMGM welcomes you with a special offer on the NBA. Simply place a $10 money line wager on any game, and if either team hits a three pointer, you'll win $200 in free bets. Just use bonus code VSIN200 when you make your first bet. Plus, you'll earn BetMGM rewards points that can be redeemed for online bonuses or converted into comps at over 20 MGM resorts nationwide. BetMGM, proud to be an authorized gaming partner of the NBA. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com and use bonus code VSIN100 to win $200 in free bets. If a three pointer is made in the game you wager on, eligibility restrictions apply. Visit BetMGM. GM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. New customer offer. All promotions subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Mississippi or Nevada. Skill Alexander. We get tweets at beating the book. The better life, Tim Lawson. Lesser comedians would lose their composure when heckled. Chris Rock took a hit, took a beat to process it, and moved on. Couldn't have said it better. Jason DeWall, can you help with any hedge advice? Uh, inclined to roll with Duke and the Celtics. Also, thanks for the advice. Made these bets based on your show, you and the guests. T-Wolves to win conference, 118 to win uh, 78-46, I believe it says. Duke, 1,000 to win 2,000. Celtics win conference, 100 to win 3,600. Uh, Jason, uh, doing a show, so I can't give the hedging advice right now, but if anything is not, if nothing has changed in your conviction on any of it, don't treat hedging like a sport. Consider just rolling with it. Unless that money needs to be locked in for you. Just consider that. Jay Chris, uh, I'm one of 13 people left in DraftKings Survivor. Oh, way to go, man. Way to go, Jay Chris. He says, I'm one of 13 people left in DraftKings Survivor, $125,000, with UNC as my only out left. Need a miracle. So, first of all, Jay Chris. Way to go. One of 13 people left. Um, and again, I'm not sure of the rules specifically in the DraftKings Survivor. If you need to be, like in other words, if Carolina were to win, which is his last pick, but somebody else who might even be behind him in points still has a team available in the championship game, would Jay Chris lose no matter what? Because some one I'm in, the rule, Jeff, is, you have to be like if you if you are ahead in points, but you've run out of teams, and somebody has a team that they can pick. Doesn't even matter if that pick wins or not in the end. They went further than you. So mine was just under thirteen hundred entries in the end. Remember, mine had rebuys three three entry max. You were allowed a rebuy on each, so essentially a mulligan. The the trade off was you just don't get points for that week that you're doing the mulligan. And one rebuy per entry. So it ended up being just shy of 1,300. You know how many people are left? Take a guess. Seven. 17. Oh, I got the seven part right. You did. 17 entries left. So in mine, and I am not one of them, by the way, my buddy who I brought into it, he had one heading into yesterday, and he was one of the nine people that took St. Peter's. Now, for those who are like, why did he take St. Peter's? He had to take St. Peter's. Not because it was his only team left, but because of his predicament in the points, in the tiebreaker points. The, the only, in mine, the only real consequential places you can finish for real money is first and second place. After that, it dips down to such a low level, it's like, why did I even bother playing, right? So for him to get to the first and second, and we, here's the thing about Survivor, which makes us again, and I'll just say it, my last sort of thing about Survivor for the year, because I'll, I'll say it again next year a hundred times. 
It's the greatest betting vehicle of anything we do. It's better than NFL Survivor. It's better than everything because in NCAA Survivor, it's three-dimensional. You have to worry about what you're doing in the moment, and you have to worry about what you think the teams you're picking now will ultimately end up doing and trying to save teams for the end. So it's, it's a, it's a three-dimensional puzzle. And so we went to, we went to dinner on, this is a true story, went to dinner on Friday night. We spent a good hour strategizing which of the teams he should pick. That's all we did. Well, you could pick Kansas, and then you would have Carolina left, but that will do you no good. You won't come close to first or second place. So you have to take St. Peter's. And so he ended up in a position yesterday where if Miami had won and St. Peter's had won, he'd have won the whole pool. And if you have a shot to do that, you have to do it. But 17 are left, and here's the thing. Nobody, Jeff, has, has any path where they'll have a team available in the championship game. No one will have a team left. So it will come down to Saturday and whoever has whatever left on Saturday. Everybody has one team left, I believe, on Saturday. So this gentleman, and again, good luck to you because I don't know what the rule is in, uh, in DK and I don't know what the other players have, but good luck to you. 13 people left in DraftKings Survivor for 125000 uh, this is from Mike Lowry. Gilly Ice, you have mentioned in the past that some of the best bets made are the squarest by nature. Yes, I have. I believe the best one I could remember, he said, is one when he made the 10-team NCAA parlay that hit a couple years ago. That's right, for 77000 They were mocking him on Twitter. Uh, he said, anyway, Saturday night, Kansas plus UNC parlayed minus 127. That's what I played. Well, I'm glad it worked out. Uh, let's see. Marty Ballard. I've never been to Vegas during March Madness, but we're seriously considering it next year. Are we wasting our time thinking we'll find a seat in a sports book, or is it actually possible? It's possible. You just have to plan it way in advance. Were you able to sit in any sports book? Not, uh, not without help. Just not go without with help. Not without, not, not without a break, basically, Gil. Without a break or somebody else had a spot and you were able to sort of slide your way again it, it with having no tournament in 2020 and then having a again not really wanting to be in public last year for the tournament Gil is kind of odd to have to remember we you and I both forgot this that we yes. had to get out basically two three months in advance and even then two three months in advance may have been too late get out in front of it as soon as you can you'll be able to get a seat just be prepared to, to uh pay some money for said seat and when I say get out in front of it I'm talking about as soon as they open reservations for it. So I don't know if that's December. You know, I don't know if you can call now. Can you call now to Circa for, for March Madness 2023? Probably not. We have to check with Mikey. But certainly as soon as they get open. This is uh, from Matthew Mayberry. He said, uh, still alive and survivor. Duke's the only Final Four team I've used. Oh, wow. Uh, so either have to use UNC this round and then the winner of Kansas Villanova over UNC if they win or Kansas and hope UNC wins and go UNC over Kansas. Seems to me I have to use UNC in the Final Four. You? <laughs> well, I don't know if you're asking if I'm still I'm not alive, but what I think about yours, um, I'll answer that after the show. We'll do that. we got to get to some tennis picks, though. Uh, tennis picks, because, again, with the, not answering it, you can't answer those questions without knowing what other people remaining in your pool have. It's all about what other people are able to pick. And I'm going to assume you have knowledge of that. That's the part about survivor pools that you have to keep in mind. You have to anticipate what other people are going to play also if they have multiple teams available. Tennis picks, one of which starts here in less than 10 minutes, which is the one in the middle of the screen. Let's start with that one. Danielle freaking Collins. It's her nickname. I'm not just saying that. 
Danielle freaking Collins, minus 125 over on Shabur. Are you seeing that number right around where it is, Jeff? Double-checking right now. Okay. Uh, that is the play here coming up. On Shabur, who just absolutely... Uh, decimated Kaya Kanepi, our pick the other day. Kanepi was up 3-2 to two on Jabour in the first set, uh, and then they played a 10-minute-plus game in which Kanepi had multiple chances to break Jabour. She couldn't, and I don't think Kanepi won 15 points the rest of the match. Just a run out. But I got Danielle freaking Collins this morning. Danielle Collins has stated her goal is to be one of the top five players in the world this year. Uh, I got her at minus 125 based on the numbers. Now, the other two... Veronica uh, Kudermatova, I got last night at plus 101 over Petra Kvitova. This line has moved. What are you seeing these at, Jeff, currently? So I'm just going through here real quick. Collins is actually minus 115 consensus, okay. so you're better there. Your People the, are better than mine. Yeah, mm-hmm. the other two, you have the best of the number right Kudermatova, now. Kudermatova, I'm, I'm saying I've got a lot better of the number on that. I'm seeing minus 120 right yeah. now. Yeah, don't let it go higher than that. But if you can get it at minus 120 or better, play Kudermatova. I got it plus 101 last night. Thought that was a bad line, and market seems to agree over Petra Kvitova. That's later. And then on the men's side, this one was last night unplayable because Miamir Kikmanovic, he was like minus 140-ish against Sebastian, uh, Sebastian Korda, the American, brother of Nelly Korda, son of Petr Korda, former tennis great. Uh, Sebastian Corda now though this number he Sebastian Corda took a whole bunch of money this morning, and so I think Miamir Kikmanovic is playable now at minus one hundred six. Kikmanovic's numbers are better, to be honest with you, than that of Corda here in the short to somewhat longer term. Even though Corda is the the more known name, what's that number? Kikmanovic back up to minus one fifteen. Wow, there you go. Okay, I don't play Kikmanovic higher than minus one twenty, minus one twenty five at the most. That's even stretching a little. I'd say minus 120. But those are your picks. I'm on Danielle Collins over on Jabour. And then uh, Miomir Kikmanovic on the men's side over Sebastian Korda. And Veronica Kudermatova over Petra Kvitova. Your three tennis picks in what has, until yesterday, yesterday I got stomped. But until yesterday, been an awesome, awesome money-making tournament down in Miami. No longer keep us game, but in Miami proper now. For the Miami Open, what a great back-to-back at Indian Wells down at Riverside County and then the Miami Open. And those Ego Futures, boy, whoo, I keep adding and adding. She is looking unstoppable. We'll see if he gets to a promised land there. Greg Peterson, Paul Spore, next.